Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. We have another special guest with us today. Um, you guys know him from the Beat the Shift podcast. Uh, I'm sure you guys will get your fantasy fixed there. Uh, writer at Fangraphs, CB, <coughs> excuse me, CBS Sportsline at Rotoballer. And of course, the creator of the average total cost projections. You know him better as the ATC projections over at Fangraphs. Our buddy, Ariel Cohen. What's up, Ariel? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the program, Tim. Delighted to to talk Mets. I usually don't get to do that. I'm more of a national writer uh, talking about everybody, but uh, love talking about my hometown favorites here. Excellent. And it looks like, you know, uh, I was just pouring over your uh, initial projections for the offense. And um, it looks like some guys are coming right back into the into the swing of things. I noticed a couple of uh, of highlights and we're going to get into those, of course. And um, yeah, there's a couple of. Uh, I just, you know, poking around the various teams, um, uh, more than a couple of sleepers, a uh, couple of names that I was very uh, interested to see. But um, I guess we'll jump right into it. What are your thoughts on the Mets this year overall, projections aside? Well, uh, I think that last year the Mets were a very underrated offensive wall club. I mean, if you're looking at W. RC plus, which is a measure of offensive talent, everybody was over 100, which means that all of our starters were above average. When you have a team that the last, the worst player, the eighth batter is an above average offensive player, you're going to have a dynamite lineup. The Mets had no problem scoring runs last year. The issue, which was a big surprise, was the starting pitching. The starting pitching really fell apart. The year before that, it was the bullpen, right? So we haven't had an excuse for the offense, we've actually been pretty good. And now take take what we had, and now you add to that um, your shortstop in Francisco Lindor. We have a couple. We have James McCann, who hopefully will give us more bite than uh, Wilson Ramos did, and a couple of very good bench players, Almora and Jonathan VR, uh, signed yesterday. Uh, I think it's shaping to, up to be a great offensive team. In terms of the defense, that is a little suspect. Um, I have my doubts as to whether J.D. Davis can be a regular third baseman. I don't think so. Dom Smith is not a regular uh, left fielder. I I don't think he is going to make any highlight reels anytime soon. So, uh, you know, that that worries me some. You have Marcus Stroman, who has a lot, who throws a lot of ground balls. So, you know, do you want them going in between Lindor and J.D. Davis? Probably not. I, I would hope the Mets would upgrade at third base, especially defensively, and help out some of the pitchers. But the offense is fantastic. Um, it, we're above average, well above average. I think it's one of the better offenses in the National League. Oh, I agree 100%. Um, I mean, even last year into 2009, they were a top five offense, as, as you were referencing, uh, weighted runs created plus. And adding guys like Lindor to that mix and the, I guess, the foundation that Sandy kind of built in, in the, 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 I guess, the foundation that he put together with certain values as far as on base percentage, which me and you were talking a little bit on Twitter uh, earlier this week about. Um, you know, that's all sort of come to fruition. And the guys that they're in there, um, at least on the offensive side that they've brought in, looking at right at J.D. Davis, he kind of fits that mold as well. 
And it just, I think it gives the, you know, it gives the manager in the front office, of course, the ability to kind of shift things around and, and fill gaps in their, in their lineup or what have you. But it also keeps that train moving, which is such a nice thing to see. And, um, you know, with hitters up and down the lineup, I mean, if you have Brandon Nimmo up top and you have Lindor number two and Comforto number three, where's Jeff McNeil going to hit? And, um, you know, with a hitting profile like his, uh, you know, you can kind of mix and match and put people in the right spots to, I guess, increase run probability or what have you. But um, I guess that'll bring us right into your projections. What exactly goes into your, I guess, you know, I don't want to give away any trade secrets, but um, what do you take into account when putting together your, your projections? Yeah, so unlike the the people who actually do straight projections and take into account velocity and uh, on the on the pitching side and of course age and on the hitting side uh, maybe some Statcast data and three years past history, um, I rely on everybody else who's smart to do that. So I gather a number of leading expert projections from all over. Uh, and I, I take, let's say I have 10 projections underneath. I also take some historical uh, experience data as to how players performed. I have studied these projection sets and what they do well. There are some projection sets who project homers really well. There are some projection sets who project stolen bases well, RBIs, just plate appearances, you know, playing time, how, how, how often a player is going to get to bat. And I take the best parts of each of the projection sets and I weight them together. There might be a projection set has 20% weight in homers, but 2% weight in stolen bases. And maybe pitcher strikeouts, another projection is 30%, but only 4% hit by pitches. And I find the best weighting based on historical of how to take those projection sets, and it produces an even better one. Uh, last year, Fantasy Pros ranked me as the number one projection artist uh, out there. So um, my method works in terms of being smart and smart aggregate. It's pretty much what, what Nate Silver does at, at 538 for his uh, political projections. He doesn't do his own polling. But he gathers a lot of polls out there, all the polls he can find, and he grades them. And he knows which ones work better. He knows which ones work better in each state. In New York, maybe uh, Rasmussen works well, but it doesn't work well in North Carolina. And he knows how to weight them to get the best average polling uh, he can find. And that's what I do at ATC. And it's been uh, it's been really great and very, very accurate over the past couple of years. It really has. I mean, looking back, um, you know, you, you can see just the correlation and, you know, you're never going to find exact marks. And when you do, it's always a plus, but you can see the correlation of, of, of projected progress. And it's really just, a, it's, it's, it's something to, to adore and wonder at. Cause it, it's really cool. It's, um you know, it's taking, like you said, it's taking the best parts of everything and taking your, your best odds of getting those projections right. And kind of putting them forth in, a, in an unbiased way. You're taking the best data from the best places, and it's uh, and it's you know with your own personal spin on it. It's it's you know it's certainly fun to to poke around in. Um, just poking around your Mets projections on the offensive side, of course. Um, you have Pete Alonso right back into his groove. I guess his uh, his batting average is back back around 250, but he's uh, back on that 40 home run pace, which he was on last year, but quite inconsistent. Um, what are your thoughts on him going into 2021? 
Yeah, Alonzo is ATC's second highest projected home run total. Only Mike Trout is projected for more homers. Um, very steady Eddie. I like him. I have him projected for a 340 OBP um, with over 100 RBIs and almost 90 runs. Uh, this is somebody that's going to hit in the middle lineup that's going to get on base, whether he walks or his, his average won't be anywhere near where it was in his rookie year. Um, he, he's not uh, he's not a 250, 270 type hitter. He's more in the 240, 250s. But uh, hey, uh, you know, he's going to get the job done and he's going to be a very plus plus in the league. Question is, is he going to be better than Dominic Smith, who Dominic Smith was was amazing last year? Um, ATC is showing a little bit regression for Dom Smith. Um, Alonzo is shown as a better hitter than Smith. I, I, I think that everyone would think that. Uh, but in a short sample size, Smith has the characteristics to really pull ahead. Um, we're talking a very high OPS, very high uh Contact rate, very high line drive rate. Uh, Dominic Smith, fantastic. The Mets have a, have a very good problem having two excellent first basemen. And with no DH uh, is where it seems to be headed, um, I guess it's a problem, but it, it's a good problem to have, right? Oh, for sure. Uh, too many players on a ro- too many good players on a roster has never been a problem for any team ever. So, um, you know, they just could, they're going to have to make it work. As far as, you know... You would assume Brandon Nimmo is going to take over center field duties unless the DH is implemented and the team decides to bring in a Jackie Bradley. Um, of course, Almora can slide into center field when necessary, but uh, that would of course that would leave left field open for Dom and whoever else moves in. Because again, the Mets have a very versatile roster in the corner outfield spots between Conforto and. Um, and Smith, you just have so much. I mean, you were just saying with Smith, it's such a well-rounded hitting profile. And um, I guess left field is probably and my my buddy Jacob, who's on the show with us regularly. He pointed out that left field is probably the best place to put Dom or, or any player like that, especially with Lindor at shortstop, because Lindor can range back you know, a lot further than your average shortstop. Let Dom play towards the fence. And if anything comes back to him, great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you have to get his bat into the lineup. Now, between him and Conforto, who you also have kind of keeping on that pace of a of a 30, 90, 30, 100 guy, um, that on-base percentage, he's still roaming around that 360 area. That's always just terrific to see. Um, and then you look at Nimmo, who you stick him up at the top of the order and you really move things around. And, um, you know, it seems like the Mets have kind of put all the pieces in place. Um, do you feel that? they've done enough to keep up with other teams in in the division, in the national league. Well, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I'm very comfortable having Dom Smith regularly out there. Um, You know, certainly you want his bat in the lineup. I can see situations where against the lefty, you're going to have Dom Smith sit. You'll have Amora in center. And this way we'll get a little bit better defense and have a lefty-righty matchups. Uh, Versus lefty, you'll definitely have J.D. Davis play. Um, You know, (laughs) that's a given over there. Um, You know, versus, versus the righty, I, I kind of think that you want Dom Smith's bad in the lineup. And I would I would break up Dom Smith and Alonzo in the order. I might have Alonzo hitting third in the order or fourth in the order and having Dom Smith hit a little bit further down so that when you're coming late in the game, seventh, eighth innings, right after one of those guys have batted, if the Mets have a lead that you want to protect, right away you can take whoever of the first baseman has batted last 
out of the game, put in Almora, and then whoever hasn't batted yet, that's going to be a do up soon, stays in it first, right? You, you leave Smith or or Alonzo at first. Obviously, with the the, the best defensive uh, structure of the Mets would have Dom Smith at first base, right? If you had sure. a DH full 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 time, I mean, Alonzo wants to play first, but technically Dom Smith is a better defender over there. Uh, okay. But that's what I would do with the with the lineup there. Um, do I think the Mets have enough? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely do. Uh, I think that they they are deep at the major league level because um, Almora is maybe a little bit below replacement level player. But, you know, you have Jonathan VR to fill in right now. He, he looks like he's going to project on the bench, but he's a competent player who can do hold his own uh, as, as a member of, of a regular squad. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you have Guillaume who can hold, uh, who can hold his own as well and to fill in here and there. Uh, you know, J.D. Davis, aside from defense, he, he, he's outstanding at, at the bat. He gets on base and he has power, especially against the left-handed, the left-handed hitters. Um, I think the Mets are, are fine from, from this respect. And, you know, this is the old, uh, you know, Sandy Alderson uh, money ball type thing uh, that where you say the heck with defense. Uh, and, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Get your OBP players, and the Mets have certainly gone for that. Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Conforto, these are very high OBP players. You say the heck with defense. Um, and the way to address that is to have a couple of good defenders on the bench. Have Elmore in case you, you need it. Um, maybe VR will play some center field. Maybe. We'll see. Um, and maybe the Mets aren't done, especially if the DH is back in play. I can see the Mets going after Jackie Bradley and saying, okay, I was just going to put him in the center fielder and, and we'll, we'll, we'll shuffle around with the DH in hand. So um, I think we're fine for now, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets still do make moves. I do expect the Mets, though, to go after third base, whether it's a trade. And it might be a midseason trade, by the way. Um, I can see the Cubs saying, you know what? We, you know, we got rid of Darvish. We want to unload both Bryant and Rizzo. And coming off of sort of down seasons, the the maximum return they're going to get isn't to trade either Bryant or Rizzo right now. They traded Darvish after the near Cy Young award uh, uh, over the near Cy Young award season. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that if they wait a month or two, have them show that, Hey, these are very productive players in the Cubs and then trade. So maybe the Mets just say, you know what? We don't have to improve our third base. Now we'll get by mid season. Let's do something for Bryant. Um, you don't have to address all the needs right this second. I think they have enough to go. And, you know, according to fan graphs, the Mets are the projected division winner. Uh, they're projected for 92 wins ahead of the Braves, 89 wins and Nationals, 83 wins with a 56 percent chance of winning the division and an 82 percent chance of making the playoffs. So I, I think they're OK for now. What, what are your thoughts? I will take it. Um, you know, I think that even right now without uh, they're still starting pitching depth. I'd like to see the Mets ahead. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think that their pitching staff certainly lines up as one of the best in the division. Um, Phillies is Phillies pitchers are, are nothing to uh, to to scoff at. That's a nice staff there. As the same thing with Atlanta, but they're just a little young. Um, I wouldn't say a lot to prove, but certainly um, <sighs> vulnerable. I didn't even. I wouldn't even put it vulnerable. I would just say you know maybe a little more seasoning would help, but um, I've been wrong before. I'm certainly concerned with Atlanta's offense between Freeman and Albies and Acuna, and um, it just what what Osuna. what. A, Oh, Ozuna's back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, just, you know. And now, do you think Ozuna was a mirage last year? I don't have the Braves numbers in front of me. I didn't see your projections on him, but um, 
He really well, he went he went off last season. Do you expect the same sort of uh, offensive explosion from him leading into his uh, new contract? Oh, I mean, you know, yeah, he, he certainly went nuts last year. I don't expect anything, anything like that. Uh, but he's been a consistent uh, performer. Um, you know, he's had high 37 homers, 30 homers. Uh, if you pencil in somewhere between 30 and 35 homers, 100 RBIs, 90 runs, uh, maybe a 280 average, that's that's roughly what you would expect. So very, very productive player. Um, I think that uh, the the Braves were maybe waiting to see whether the NL would get a DH, but then they they figured, you know what? In the next CBA, he it's gonna they're gonna have a DH. They're gonna somehow get that in there, and so they're taking the chance on him now uh, to play an outfield position, even though he probably would have been the DH. And they figure, all right, the, the year following the year, the next year, he'll be the DH. So let's just sign him, lock him up now because he's he's worth it. Uh, listen, uh, Alex Anthopoulos is a fantastic GM. He he signs players uh, for unbelievable costs. So look at the deal that he gave uh, uh, Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr. Just, just theft, absolute theft. So uh, they, they know what they're doing in Atlanta. And by the way, you mentioned pitching staffs. I think the Marlins have a couple of good young pitchers uh, that, that can really reel it. Um, the Marlins have developed very good pitching over over the last couple of years. They've traded them all the way. They've traded them all over the place. Um, you can you can put a, a, an ace roster together from ex Marlins pitchers who grew up in their organization, uh, but they do a phenomenal job down there. They really do. And, and even guys who, who didn't who, who didn't stick on there. And, and I guess the Mets grabbed a couple this offseason in Jordan Yamamoto and Stephen Tarpley. You know, these are high, high ceiling, uh, reasonably high ceiling players, um, especially I love Yamamoto. His off speed stuff his curve his slider. They both have nasty bite to him. Same thing with Tarpley. He's a left hander who could really come in. He was formerly. Uh, I know the Yankees didn't take him, but they had him high in their system. Anyway. Yeah. Yamamoto, though, I'm, I'm not as high on Yamamoto. His velocity has been down last year. Um, to me, he's just insurance. I, sure. I, if, if Yamamoto is pitching regularly for us, it means we've got a lot of injuries and <laughs> or, or a lot of bad success. So I, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. And I am hoping the Mets do sign a starter. I didn't think the Mets needed to sign Bauer. I think that the Mets would be great signing Jake Odorizzi. I'm, I'm praying the Mets sign him. Uh, we, yeah. we, need like, we need a very solid fourth starter to, to compile innings, to compile good innings you, you need a Bartolo Colon type pitcher who's good you know nothing special but good and just give you a chance every game I'm fine if, if they go 10 and 10 on the year uh, but you need somebody to to really get through the innings and I think Odorizzi is is a guy on the free agent market that the Mets should set their sights on how do you like Joey Lucchese do you think that's a um an upside addition for this rotation. Again, he's not going to be leaned on for a whole lot of responsibility, very much a back end of the rotation guy, but with his, um, I guess he, he's definitely a, a mostly a control guy. Uh, deception is certainly the name of his game. Do you think that holds up well among such a division with, with so many good hitters? Yeah, he's he's definitely an interesting pitcher. Uh, I definitely prefer his upside to what you probably would have gotten from Stephen Matz this year. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, listen, he's had uh, he, he he had 145 strikeouts and only 130 innings in 2018. He had a K per nine of about nine in 2019. Didn't pitch much last year, but uh, I, I like this guy. I think there is some upside, and you know you, you always have to take gambles on some upside players. And why not with a fifth, sixth tip type starter um, with with Lucchese? I, I think it's great. Um, 
Um, I'm hoping Peterson can repeat from last year. Peterson was phenomenal last year, by he the way. He was terrific, right? Um, yeah, I think that was a, a little bit lucky, but if you can get anything close to him at, at the fifth slot, you know, that was the one bright spot of the Mets rotation last year, right? <laughs> it was. It really time. was. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, from last year to this year, the rotation looks really, really different, right? You got Carlos Carrasco coming in. You got Marcus Stroman now coming in, uh, potential Noah Syndergaard in the last half of the year, and maybe they sign another starter. That is a vastly different rotation. And since that was a weakness last year, that that's a good thing. I really like Cookie Carrasco. I, I think that this is a this is a guy that you want to root for. And, and I think that people – you know, forget about the, the star power and the ability. I think that teams and fan bases want to root for a guy, a guy like that. You need some star power on a team like Lindor. You need a, a good feeling guy like Carrasco that you want to root for. It's so important for the fan base. And um, I, I think I think people miss the importance of that sometimes. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. It certainly all plays into it. And, you know, the guy just on the field itself, he's been a bulldog. Yeah, he's been consistent. He has trickeration on his side. I love that word. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, you know, he goes out there and gets his job done. And he does it really, really well. And then off the field, you look at the stuff that he's overcome. And um, it's it, very, very easy. It was easy to root for him when he was halfway across the country. It's even easier to root for him now. And it's, it's such a great addition. And it really shores up the, the you know, the, middle front end of the Mets rotation because, you know, DeGrom is unquestionably your number one. And I agree what Bauer got was um, just, just out of this galaxy. Uh, I wouldn't even have been on him at 30 to 35 middle of the season, but that's, that's another episode altogether. Um, DeGrom, Stroman, Carrasco in whatever order I'm not putting, that's not necessarily pegging them as the two and three, but yeah, uh, you, you throw in all that other depth and, um, you know, you really have a nice foundation leading into a, a greatly improved bullpen. <laughs> 
You know, it's funny with uh, with Marcus Stroman. I, I tweeted out that he had a uh, 2.7 standard deviation of interprojection volatility. I don't think he even knew what I was talking about there. But my point with him is that uh, Stroman is a guy who is not an elite pitcher, not by any stretch. And I don't think he has the ability to be elite. However, he has uh, a very low range of outcomes in being good. I think that there is a high chance that he is a very, very good pitcher going into the year, but he just won't jump up and he just won't jump down. I don't think Stroman liked that. And he sent me a tweet with a picture of him in a pool with his shirt off with his dog there saying, I'm going to get the best of all. Yeah, I'll show you. <laughs> so uh, that, that was a little fun with uh, I had with uh, Marcus Stroman last week. <laughs> He's terrific on Twitter. Oh, this is very entertaining, very enlightened, um, uh, very inspirational. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy following and uh, following along on social media. It's good stuff. But what I've seen Stroman is a very intelligent pitcher, a, a guy who 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 clearly um, <laughs> puts forth everything he has to get better. Um, I, I do think that the addition or, or the implementation of more analytics or a more analytically focused front office is going to do wonders for him. And I think he has the ability as a pitcher to not only grasp the information that's coming from the front office, but to kind of put it into action. Um, I, I'm very curious to see what a full season with Jeremy Hefner as the pitching coach has on a staff like this. Cause you can kind of see it coming together last year. And that's even with a, a very depleted, staff in itself. Um, and I think Stroman's one of those guys who can really benefit from it. Uh, just again, you know, banter on Twitter, uh, me and frequent guest on the pod, Matt Brownstein, um, talking a little bit about how Stroman is able to kind of mix in his sinker and his slider and his, um, yeah, sinker and the slider. My, my apologies. Yeah. Um, kind of mix him in very effectively and, and create deception and then tinkering with spin and axis and, uh, you know, stuff that I'm certainly not not uh, not qualified to really get into much detail on. But yeah. um, it seems like he has the uh, 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 and I know you said he, you don't see him as elite. I think he has an elite ceiling, whether he reaches that ceiling. That's another question. But I do um, think he has the ability to be a, a number two or even a number one in another organization. Yeah, the process risk surrounding him is a bit higher because he's a ground ball pitcher, and uh, you know some ground ball pitchers could have a, a, a difference in, in in ERA. You know, you you when you have a big strikeout pitcher, and you know you, you have a, a high percentage of the at bats that the, the batters that they face not even have a chance to hit the ball. Um, the range of outcomes could be lower from season to season with ground balls. If you have a bad defense, all the all the runs are going to come in and score. Um, so, but, but a ground ball pitcher has a much higher floor, right? Uh, you, you're, you're not going to have balls go fly out of the air as, as homers. You, you're mm -hmm. going to have the plays to generate the double plays. So, uh, there, there's a lot to like in Stroman. Again, I, I don't think he's an elite player, but again, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to say that he has a, has a high probability of being a good player. I would, ra if you build a ball, a ball club of high probability of good players, that's what it takes to win. And that, that's the money ball methodology of getting the OBP uh, in the offense, as we talked about before, where you don't have to have big homers. You don't have to have these, these big hits, but as long as you get on base with a high clip, you have a high floor of, of, of success uh, in the majors. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about the bullpen, but just to expand on the OBP thing, because this is what we were speaking about earlier in the week. Um, 
Would you, as we were just talking about earlier, the Mets have a lot of high OBP guys. Would you, are you there? I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. I heard a little <laughs> snap. I thought I lost you there. Okay. Um, snap, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you keep all of your guys up top, up at the top of the, the batting order? Or would you kind of spread that out? And, you know, who's your candidate to move down towards the bottom? Assuming there's a pitcher in the lineup. Who's your candidate to hit in front of, let's say, McCann in the eight hole? Yeah. So, uh, you know, first of all, you know, with, with lineups, the, the new sabermetric norm is to ignore the stolen bases and the speed. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you're the top stolen base guy. It doesn't really matter. You you, you only want to steal if you're going to have somewhere between a 75 to 85 percent success rate. Um, and the Mets aren't a great stolen base team. Well, why would you steal? You got you have Alonzo who's going to hit a homer right after you. Why would you why would you want to steal? Right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, Tom Tango in his book called The Book, Playing the Percentages in Baseball, has basically shown that you want your highest OBP batters to bat one, two, and four. And mm-hmm. uh, for the Mets, that would be Nimmo, Conforto, and McNeil. So I would uh, ideally put Nimmo, Conforto, um, Nimmo, can, uh, sorry, Nimmo first. I like McNeil batting second. I like Conforto in the cleanup hole. You put Alonzo at third. I would drop down uh, Lindor to fifth. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little bit more down on his offensive ability, uh, pure offensive ability this year uh, as. Uh, compared to some other experts, uh, but put it, put him batting fifth. He still has some pop. He still has enough ability to get on. Um, and then I would probably put uh, uh, Dom Smith somewhere in the seven, in the six, seven hole. Um, again, I like the idea of splitting up Alonzo and Dom Smith so that you can take either one out defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that's worth a lot more than just moving from six to seven. But of course, you know, it really depends who's hot. I think that baseball is streaky. And when you have a hot player, you know, move them up. Also, you know, JD Davis left uh, righty Dom Smith lefty. Of course, the thing to do is really to swap them and to put them six, seven, depending upon whether you're facing a lefty or righty. That's that's, you know, common sense. Uh, And McCann is, you know, just by definition, the not not a terrible hitter, but the worst of of the starters. So McCann should be the the eight hole all the time. That's that's how I would do it. Oh, I think I agree with you 100 percent. I'm I'm not I guess I'm a little untraditional in the way that I'm not tied to a batting order. I'm not tied to traditional, you know. Oh, this guy belongs here. This guy belongs there. I, I like to spread it out. I also like to be a little, uh, I guess, off the cuff. Um, keep I advanced, mean, <laughs> keep advanced scouting kind yeah, of but at you know, day. You know, but you know, take a team like the Rays. You know, the Rays basically had a script. They had a script every game. You know, switch, switch this guy. Play the play the platoons here. To mm-hmm. pitch only Blake Snell until the fifth inning. Right? You have a script, and the sabermetric script will work in the long run. Right? Maybe yeah. on a given day, a guy is hot. You want to move him up. A guy is this. You know. But in the long run, if you play the script numbers and advanced analytics have shown it will play out in the end. So I'm more of the idea of, you know, just take what, what is the sabermetric thing, go with it every day and the randomness uh, and the hotness of, of whatever player is streaky, that'll just fade in the long run. Uh, you'll end up being, being more beneficial. Long run. The, the more you tinker off of a formula that works, the more harm you can do in the long run. Sure. Any one point, any one day, um, maybe you can make the right move, but for every three good moves you make, you'll make four bad moves. So it's not worth tinkering in the long run. Oh man. You, 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 uh, you certainly, um, <laughs> You, you look. You look at things in a long view that I I just don't, and um, that's probably the smarter way to go. <laughs> and this doesn't just go for baseball. I am I am the same flying by the seat of my pants, uh, Tim, in, in in almost every aspect. But yeah, I guess um, that certainly makes sense. You got to play the odds, uh, 
in in long run, right? Yeah, that's that's how players at blackjack play, right? They they, <laughs> they know what the percentage is of what hands to play and what not hands to play, and they don't get upset if a certain hand beats them. They know that it'll work out in the long run. You know, it's yeah. a formula that you have a, a house odds, right? And uh, and you just do it. Uh, listen, you know, uh, back to the Rays discussion of Snell. Oh, why you take him out? In the it was the World Series game six. Why you taking him out? But the answer is the script worked. It worked for for the sixty games. It worked for all the playoff games up until then. Why would you change your script at the very last day? You can make an argument that maybe they should have put in a different pitcher. Maybe the other pitcher was struggling, but the script says take out Snell. You do it. They got that's how they got here. And uh, I'm not a very political guy, but you know if if you want to talk about like Trump and and people ask you know why why didn't you just be a little bit nicer in those debates? Why do you have to have, use your regular personality and just just be a little nicer? And of course the answer he can give is I wouldn't be president if I did that. I got here because I I did that. I had that person. Personality. Why change it now? And uh, although it didn't work this particular time for him, uh, there is a good reason to say, hey, this is the script. This is what worked. And why not keep doing it? Because in the long run, it should. Oh, I agree. Yeah. He just, you know, uh, it's a long season over over the course of 162 games. Sure. You know, you got you got to play those those averages and you got to just kind of wait it out. It's you know, it's it's the more prudent way to go for sure. Um I did want to touch quickly on the bullpen. Um, I saw that you had Edwin Diaz up near the top of your uh, relief pitching rankings for, uh, for 2021. Are you buying the turnaround that we saw last year in a, a albeit very short season, but uh, you know, the metrics have always been there, the peripherals and his stuff, as you want to say, uh, as you know, quote unquote, his stuff. Uh, It's always been there. Um, His first season in Queens was, as about as close to a mess as you could possibly uh, put forth. He took strides last year. His walks were a little off. Do you see him continuing progress in 2021? Oh, I have a lot of good things to say uh, about Edwin Diaz and why I think that that he's really going to turn it around. I mean, uh, first of all, look at his numbers last year. He had 50 strikeouts in 26 innings, which was a strikeout percentage of 46. Can you imagine 50 percent? Half the time you're striking out your opponent. That, that's unbelievable. Uh, if you, Per, uh, scale out his numbers to what would have been a full season. That's 135 strikeouts. You have starting pitchers in baseball that don't strike out 135. So that's enormous. Um, you know, he did have a good ERA last year at 175, but look at the bad luck. He With that, he only had six saves. That's extremely unlucky. His career as a Met, he has a th- 378 BABIP. BABIP, for, for those who don't know, is a, is a luck measure. It tells you what percentage of balls in play are falling for hits. Pitchers generally don't have much control over it. Usually you get about a 300 average, but the average against him is 378. So he's getting 78 more points of, of hits against him that are completely unlucky, have nothing to do with him. That's If you hit a 320, you would say it's unlucky. 378 is almost unheard of. That's a huge luck bounce back. Uh, Another thing I saw is that his homer to fly ball rate, so the percentage of times that a fly ball goes out of the yard, almost 25% as a Met. A quarter of the fly balls are out of here. That's very unlucky. As a Mariner, his percentage was 13%, maybe one in eight. So we're talking about double the home runs. And this dude is only 26 years old. He's throwing just as hard as ever. This is a guy who's going to he's going to last in the close role the whole time. I think he can he can save 40 saves this year if we have a full season. Uh, Very, very big bounce back guy. I'm very high on Edwin Diaz for this year. 
Oh, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think part of the struggles had to do with, you know, a guy with such a live arm and so much movement on his fastball. I mean, his, his four seamer moves like a two seamer. It has so much horizontal movement. Um, a lot of his pitches were drifting into the zone and pitchers, you know, his sliders just dastardly. No one's touching that. So hitters were kind of waiting out that fastball. And you can see if it's starting on that inside track to a right-hand hitter, that's going to come into the middle of the plate and he was getting tattooed on it. Otherwise he misses bats constantly. Um, I think as he gets older and as he learns the art of pitching, as opposed to the, just the, the will strength, the, the, the will show of strength that throwing is that he's clearly accomplished at. It's like a cinder guard. You know, it took, maybe it took a little while for these guys to transition from throwers to, to actual pitchers. And I think Syndergaard always had that touch, but he was always looking to overpower you because he could, I'm hoping that when he comes back, he's going to be more of a, take more of a mental approach to really just picking apart hitters. And I think Diaz has that same capability because his stuff is just so, so good. I mean, who else do you know that only needs two pitches? I mean, Mo Rivera only needed one, but he only needed one, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, these Uh, days do that relievers. uh, You have some good relievers who only have two pitches. That's definitely a a hurt of, you don't have starters really. And that's why, you know, you have guys like uh, Chris Paddock, who they say, is he going to last with only two pitches? You know, uh, but, but yeah, closers can do it. You only got to pitch one inning at a time. <laughs> I like Paddock a lot, by the way. I, I'm a, I'm a, I do too. The command it, is great. It is. And I think if he develops a changeup, he could be such a force, oh, especially in that yeah. staff now. Oh, my goodness. Don't yeah, get me started on the Padres. I got a lot to join from. <laughs> don't tell the Mets fans. I'm also a Padres fan. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, oh, just uh, very, very excited for the season. Uh, I had a couple of questions. Fantasy sleepers, do you have any real, uh, anyone that we can bank on? You know, I hate the term sleeper because what is a sleeper? Right? There's so much fantasy analysis these days. All right. How about an that, undervalued? How about an undervalued? Uh, undervalued player. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sure. Um, I'm looking at uh, uh, Fran Milreis, uh on yes. Cleveland, who I think is a very oh. underrated uh, player in fantasy baseball. Uh, in 15-team in drafts, he's going in the 11th round, but he could be a fourth-round player. This is a guy who's just 25 years old. He has 40 homer upside, and he is not like Adam Dunn. He's got a lifetime batting uh, batting average of 263, and it could it could be higher. His lifetime barrel rate is 30 13%. He's a stat cast darling. I really like Fran Moraes for this year. I, I think that uh, um, you know the, the reason why people aren't taking him is because he doesn't really have a position. He, he only was DH, mm-hmm. so it, it's if you don't have a utility spot in your lineup or you don't want to clog it, people are eh, I don't want to, but he's worth the numbers anyways uh pick fran will reyes you will be very happy that you listened to this podcast and heard me today <laughs> uh, i am a personally a very big fran will reyes fan my very first interview with a major league player um actually he was still a minor oh, leaguer really? at the time yeah Padres. I was, I, that's right i was writing for friars on base and uh I, he went on some sort of tear in triple a and i said oh let yeah. me reach out to him he followed the site i reached out we spoke and within like a week he was up in the majors and uh yeah, you know, when he gets hot, he just is absolutely scorching and he sends balls, you know, close to 500 feet. And that's it's, uh, you know, he's up there in like Stanton territory when he connects. It's really, really fun to watch. And even like you said, um, 
it's not just homers. And when he's locked in, he is a beast. Shout out to James Muscucci over in uh, over in Cleveland. This is Believe Land. He's a uh, he's a big big Cleveland fan and uh, big Framo Reyes fan. I know he's a regular listener. But um, Ariel, this has been excellent. Um, do you have any pitchers that you're very high on this year? That was my last uh, my last question. Yeah, um, I, I like uh, Tyler Glass now for this year. Um, last year, his numbers were so, uh, amazing. 38% strikeout rate as a starter. If you scale his his innings to, you know, up to the 162 games, he would have only had 155 innings, which is pretty low, but he would have had 246 strikeouts. 246 strikeouts, not even pitching 160 innings. Uh, 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 unbelievable. And, you know, he's he, for fantasy. He's not just a strikeout play. He's a whip stabilizer. In the last two years, his whip has averaged one point zero one. These days, if you have a high strikeout player and a very low whip person and he does it in just one hundred and fifty five innings. Uh, that's a fantastic buy. He's going in about the fourth round of drafts, and he's worth every penny right now. You don't have to select uh, Lucas Giolito. I think you can do okay with Tyler Glass now two rounds later. Nice. That is a that is a hot tip. I'm writing that one down. Um, <laughs> do you get into Dynasty Leagues? I personally don't do dynasty. Um, it's I, I'm more focused on the the uh, year value only. Uh, you know, things can can change so much in dynasty that it's it's harder and harder to quantify. It's hard to quantify what's in the the next coming year, and I, I attempt to do that. But to quantify what's in the next five years, it's almost impossible. I mean, if you ask the top experts and the top GMs all over, and you say, "I want to know what is the all all star team going to look like in four or five years from now in Major League Baseball." And they wrote down their answers. First of all, they're going to probably have different views. And I bet you none of them are going to get anything right. Like maybe they'll get a player right. Wander Franco is going to be on every list. That's it. Wander (laughs) Franco. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to say Juan Soto is still going to be there. You know, okay, right. But 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 in general, (laughs) it's really hard to to project these prospects. Some prospects take longer to develop. Uh, Some players just age quicker than others. It's just so hard to project that far. And I'm in the business of doing good projections. I, I hate variability. And just adding five years of variability is is oh so tough. So I, I try to stay away from them if possible. Yeah, I um I've been a lifetime regular traditional fantasy player. Actually, I started when I was like eleven. It was still rotisserie baseball. We had to meet up on Sundays yeah. to we had to meet Good up on Sundays. Good for you. Good for you too. Oh my god! Oh, we we had a blast. Mike Castellano. And I'm lucky. I'm very lucky that I was invited in the last couple of years to some of the biggest expert leagues. I play now in uh, labor in the uh, the USA Today Fantasy League, and I oh, play cool. in the esteemed Tout Wars. If you read the the book Fantasyland, and you should, it's such a great book by Sam Walker. Uh, I play with the guys who are in it now. Uh, everyone knows the name Matthew Barry. Well, I play in the league that Matthew Barry used to play in in baseball when he was a baseball writer, and I won last year. That's incredible nice. for me to say. I I'm a Tout Wars champion. Uh, uh, really made my year last year uh so there you go excellent ariel i cannot thank you enough for coming on the show everybody um check them out on on twitter ariel would you share your social media handle because my screen went dark uh sure uh, i'll share it anyways uh my uh, my twitter handle is 
A-T-C-N-Y. It's the shortest name of anybody you can find as a baseball writer. A-T-C-N-Y. A-T-C is my projection set, which is available on Fangraphs. I write for Fangraphs, Rotoballer, Sportsline, um, and you can find my projections on all those sites. And uh, my pod, if you like fantasy baseball, we have a strategy-focused fantasy baseball podcast. We talk about players, but people talk about players in every show. We do how do you pick up players? What fab do you put down? What round is this a value? What should you be looking for to pair players? Like every strategy aspect. It's the Fangraphs Beat the Shift podcast. Look it up on your Apple podcast uh, uh, or Google podcast aggregator on Beat the Shift. Excellent. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on. We are going to have you back during the season to see where we're at. And um, everybody, you know where to find us. Uh, check out the Apple, by the way. Brand new site. We've been pumping it on the last couple episodes. The Apple a- NYM dot substack dot com or just the apple nym on twitter ariel thank you again man you have an excellent day and uh we'll talk to you soon my pleasure you too tim be well excellent Let's go!